This episode of the What's Real podcast is dedicated to great friend of the show, Lindsay. It's a five-star podcast. Because we do it. What's real? What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the What's Real podcast, episode 165. I am your host, Ed Demko, along with my cohort, co-conspirator, co-contributor, and my co-tag team championship partner in podcasting, the J himself, Jerry Bajoris. What's going on, the J? We are smack dab in the 160s of the What's Real world. Hey, Ed, 165 on the odd even number. I'm loving it. And as you could tell, the pulsation nation is behind me. Your boy, the J, is pumped up to get on the mic here with you. Have the wizard behind the boards throwing together our mixer. We're doing our thing here in the world of the What's Real podcast. And the J's pumped. You'll explain further. But this week, because of the coverage we're doing, the J's is pumped as Action Jackson. Mr. Carl Weathers, you're the man, Carl, and the J is pumped. 165, hey, Ed, let's go. And you got to be pumped this week because, of course, we are talking about the return of the most action-packed segment in podcasting. Uh, Thursday Night Prime returns this week with 1989's Action USA. And, of course, we're going to be talking some wrestling as we're going to have full reviews of WWE Night of Champions and AEW's Double or Nothing pay-per-views. And we're going to be talking some goofs and much more. So let's just get into it, the J. Uh, some sad news to report, uh, because this definitely is something that we've talked about on the, the show in years past. Uh, rest in peace to Gary Kent, uh, who was a Hollywood stuntman, um, worked in some really cool movies and, and TV shows, and it's a lot of stuff to mention. Uh, he had a memoir called Shadows and Light. Uh, there is a documentary made about him called Danger God. Um, he's a guy that I would consider a, a friend of mine, so unfortunately that, that makes it a little bit worse. Uh, he also worked on Bubba Hotep. Uh, he told me stories about being around Charles Manson and the Manson family at the Spawn Ranch. Uh, and he's also probably most well-known for most people as the character inspiration for Cliff Booth, who is Brad Pitt's character in Quentin Tarantino's Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Uh, he passed away on May 25th at the age of 89. Uh, and Gary was an absolutely great guy. Uh, man's man, like that type of guy. Uh, and, you know, if you watch the the Tarantino flick, there's a lot of that in there with that character. So, and that's literally how Gary was, but a super, super cool guy. Uh, he will definitely be missed. Uh, I got to meet him a few years ago and I knew him online previously. Uh, and I'd interviewed him and stuff like that before. But, uh, when I met him, he actually knew who I was, you know, like I didn't have to introduce myself to him, which was pretty surprising. Uh, and I have a friend of mine, that had the same exact experience with him. So like Gary was a super, super nice guy. Uh, and obviously wanted to take a moment here on the show to say rest in peace to Gary Kent. We, we've touched on it before. Hey, Il, with both of our mutual love and respect, myself admiration for Hollywood stunt people. And Gary Kent is one of the top of all time. So it's definitely worth shouting out, especially with your personal relationship with him. I unfortunately never was able to meet him, but I'm a big fan of Gary Kent's. You and I have had conversations. I've even picked your brain about 
talking to him and, and interviewing him and your interactions on uh, online chats and things. And, uh, you know, we've talked about the fact that I've done some some of my own stunt work and in independent film and everything. And on the level these guys are at, I, I look so, so up to them on what they do for their sacrifice for the art of film throughout the years. And, and like you said, I mean, this goes back and is a prime example of old school Hollywood, which is truly the last of a dying breed here. Yeah, no, no doubt about it. And yeah, how weird is this? Because this was this is completely coincidental. And I don't even know if you realize this or not, the J. But uh, it, it just so happens to be on the passing of, of Gary Kent here, the next show since, you know, we found out the bad news. Uh, we are reviewing, we're bringing back Thursday Night Prime, which is, of course, an action, you know, segment. And uh, stunt work is prevalent in a lot of these movies. And it just so happens that Action USA is directed by Jon Stewart. Uh, not the Jon Stewart from Daily Show fame or anything like that, but the guy's name's Jon Stewart, and he's also a stuntman. So, isn't surprising that that's a coincidence, but, uh, kind of fun to mention here on the show. Yeah, and, a, and, a, and another big fact regarding that is the stuntman that became a director that was friends with Keanu Reeves. He was Keanu Reeves' stuntman on the Matrix films and stuff. He's the one that started the entire John Wick franchise. There so, you go. You know, that's that's and that's one of the biggest franchises going, you know, all, all with a stuntman at the helm. So, yeah, very cool thing. I, I just wanted to throw out there a couple little tidbits, hey, Ed. Uh, being a stuntman, of course, these guys get so many injuries and things. And Kent's worst two, uh, I think this came from his memoir, such some such thing, uh, but they were his most painful injuries as a stunt performer. And they yep. both were in rush films. He sliced up his arm on broken glass. Uh, this was during a bar fight fracas in Hell's on, uh, Angels on Wheels from 67. Yep. And the, just a year later, so of course, this long story career, probably a ton of injuries, but his two worst were back to back. In 1968, he was run over by an out of control motorcycle in the Savage Seven, where he shared scenes with Penny Marshall. So, you know, th those are the type of things you like to point out again, just regarding the the sacrifice that these guys make for for not the the fame and fortune necessarily but as we talked about before and, and my my partner Damien that we always mentioned through our independent company Churchill Pictures that, that we do independent film work he always said because he always wanted to push me to move to LA to be a stuntman because he's like you get the best of all worlds like you're this glorified Hollywood person that gets to be in these huge movies but then you don't get all the bullshit that comes with fame. And of yeah. course, you still make good money. I mean, you're not making Brad Pitt money, but you can have a, a nice life and you don't have to deal with, with all the shit. Uh, it's definitely a really interesting uh, career. And, and again, something that I always uh, looked up to and always was heavily interested in. And, and another thing I was going to mention was in the half century stunt career of Gary Kent, uh, as you said, hey, Ed, it all came to an end on uh, Baba Hotep that you mentioned. Yep. He tumbled down a hill and damaged his leg. Uh, but he did go on to continue as a stunt coordinator and worked as recently as 2019. So he passed away at, at 89 years old. We talk here in 2023. And just a few years ago, he was still working as a stunt coordinator in the industry. So that just shows you, as you mentioned, he had the man's man working in, in his 80s within the stunt field in Hollywood. Uh, you know, rest in power from the J, as we always throw out. Got to throw that out there. And just wanted to throw this out there, too. Another reason why Gary was really fun to talk to uh, is because this is a guy, by the way, who who has worked with, you know, like Peter Bogdanovich, Brian De Palma. Uh, he worked with Bruce Lee on Green Hornet. Uh, he was friends with Jack Nicholson. Uh, he has stories about the Manson family at the Spawn Ranch. Like, 
there's a lot of interesting things about Gary, uh, you know, at, at least for somebody like me to just outside of being the stunt coordinator for stuff and being a stunt man. Uh, but he had an interesting life and, uh, he was a really, really nice guy. So I obviously wanted to give him some real estate here on the show. Uh, and you know, uh, I'm going to miss Gary. Gary was a really nice guy. It was fun to talk to him about this stuff. So, uh, it's unfortunate, but, uh, again, rest in peace from here, from us here on the show to Gary Kent. Yeah. Full, a full life. Hey, and I, and I wanted to end it with this great quote. Uh, I believe it again, it was, as you mentioned, his memoir, which is called shadows and light journeys with outlaws and revolutionary Hollywood published in 09. So take a look at that folks listening. I'm sure it's on Amazon it's and stuff. It's a great read. I have it. Though. I'm sure. Yeah. I'll be, I'll be getting it. I never read it, but you know me with my library that I never read anything from. <laughs> I'll be retired one day. Hey, you know, but there you uh, go. Kent, Kent said he was fortunate to have worked in the golden age of stuntmen. And this is from a, this is actually from a 2018 interview with the Austin Chronicle. And Kent said, quote, CGI really changed things. I just did a film working as a stunt coordinator and they didn't have the money to hire stuntmen. They had some fights in the script. So I asked the actors if any of them had done stunts before. They all raised their hands, but none of them had really done stunts before. We all know that. Hey, Ed, fake yeah. it till you make it. Yep. Uh, maybe they th- threw a glass of water or something, but a stunt is rolling cars or doing high falls. It's challenging. Nowadays, every actor thinks they're a stuntman. So a great quote from a great man. Rest in power from us here at the What's Real Podcast, the Gary Kent. Absolutely. So I uh, wanted to bring this up to you, the Jay. This is on to more lighthearted things or really dark, lighthearted things, I guess. Uh, recently, I caught the newest episode of Rich and Shameless. It was all about Hulk Hogan's Gawker trial and what led up to it. And uh, whenever I brought it up to you, you basically said that you saw it, too. We were talking about it a little bit. So I definitely wanted to bring it up here on the show because holy fucking shit. It's it's almost weird how a lot of this stuff is kind of faded into memory. Uh, but then whenever you watch it again, it's still as shitty as you remember it the first time around with this dude. That's what happens. We live through it and so many things get thrown at you. And that's what happens with social media, even there's like these huge scandals, but if you can like get through it, other than exceptions to the rule and like rare things, like we always say, there's, there's definitely always an exception to the rule, but for the most part, to your point, Hey Ed, you know, things kind of come and go. And, and, and again, you're dealing with so much, you know, we're in the, the digital age and we have so much data thrown at us and, and different things. And, and yeah, it's like, until you really stop and, and kind of relive something, which, which this is, uh, that's what this episode of the rich and shameless on TNT did. And for those that don't know, it's basically a docu-series. Uh, I think, uh, the first episode, cause Hogan's episode was the second one was on Dennis Rodman and some of the things that happened to him. I think specifically that story was about Rodman getting ripped off of millions of dollars and things. So there's some interesting stuff there, but to your point, reliving this story of Hulk Hogan, which led into the whole Gawker lawsuit and everything, was absolutely brutal for because we, we said growing up as children of the 80s we were huge hulk hogan fans as kids and things and and it's like they say even though we didn't meet our her- hero in particular specifically with hulk hogan you and i it, it's still like even just learning about your real life hero and, and what they can do in a negative way uh but this this was like really bad e- extraordinarily cringy kind of <laughs> yeah bad. oh fucking the worst dude like that's what i mean like it's hogan's definitely the type that like anytime you get to the point where you're like you know hogan's not that bad i guess and then something happens you're like never mind fuck him 
Like it's all, and it just, it's every time. Like he never lets you down in that department. Um, and yeah, this is a big expose into that. I mean, I don't think we need to get into like a shitload of details about it because it's fucking stomach churning a lot of it, especially with the video and oh, goddamn. Awful, awful, well, awful and shit. It really comes down to like so many things. It, it is complex and, and it's convoluted and there is a lot to it because there are aspects where you can feel bad about Hulk Hogan as far as if he truly was unknowingly filmed, but that's up for debate because Bubba, the love sponge who's involved in this never testified. He, he pleaded the fifth. So he would pre- probably be the only one that they could get out to, to Hogan admitting, but there are rumors that Bubba said that Hogan did have knowledge that he was being taped. Cause that was kind of the whole point that Bubba, the love sponge was like, yeah, you can bang my wife. And I'm, I'm, he's like a voyeur or whatever. He's like watching from the other room because of a kink. Yeah, it's he's a cuck. Of yeah, some he's sorts. A, he's like a weird cuck. And and the it, other part is it's like if if because that that was the whole Gawker trial and why Hogan won because it's like if he was filmed unknowingly then that's illegal and everything and and that's why they went out, out after Gawker because they were putting up video of Hulk Hogan that he said he, it wasn't consensual for him to be filmed in the first place. But that's the problem if he did have knowledge and Hogan's known as a liar, then the only thing you could look to have sympathy for him, you know, towards he, that, that if that was a lie, then there's nothing to have sympathy towards. It's even worse because now he's lying about that. And he won like $110 million backed by a billionaire and all that. And then you throw in all the racist shit that's on the tape. Well, that's, that's why he wanted the tape. It, It wasn't even necessarily because of the sex. He knew there was something more incriminating on it. So he was trying to buy the tape and then the FBI got involved. I mean, it, it is a crazy story. Like that's, I was glued to this. Cause again, we lived through it, but I didn't know all the details that they covered in this, like with the FBI and they even had the video, like the, the uh, voiceover yep. of, you know, they, they took some of it out that I guess they couldn't, but they did play like the FBI agents asking questions in the hotel room of the guys trying to sell Hogan the tape for like 300 K. And, yep. and as you said, Hey, that's why he was trying to track it down because beyond the sex, he knew there was more incriminating stuff there, which specifically was him with some horrifically uh, racist rhetoric. And, and it's one of those things like he tried to defend himself and do damage control. And in the interviews, he's like, everybody knows that that's not me and I'm not like that. But when you just break down his actual quote, yeah, it's all, like, it's absolutely awful. It's like a fucking racist. Like I'm not racist, but N word this and. No, he bad. says he's racist. He actually oh yeah, 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 yeah. He's racist. Like yeah, you're right. He's like I, I, he's like I'm, uh, I'm, everybody's racist in a way or something stupid. Like my god, and then he just goes on a tirade of shit that's just racist as fuck. So he's an idiot. But I don't know. Like it's a whole convoluted story, but nonetheless, it was an interesting topic for rich and shameless so i was kind of surprised whenever they announced it originally and then i i happened to catch it and then you said you did too so uh i obviously wanted to bring that up here on the show yeah because it's again Uh, it's just a surreal story of two 80s you know fans of wrestling that have been fans since the 80s to see hogan in this insane real life situation with with like the fbi and gawker and they got he got back his uh trial by a a billionaire that, that had been scorned by Gawker. Cause that they said that yep. was the main thing. It was like Hogan was just Peter on in this. 
Peter Thiel was was mad at them for you know they were starting rumors about his sexuality and all this, and he wanted them to to pay. So he, as a billionaire, um, you know, financed Hogan, and it, it is a crazy story. Yeah, there's a whole documentary about it too. That uh, I think it was on Netflix, maybe. I about remember the whole something thing. about that. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's, it's a crazy story, but, uh, you know, definitely an episode that if you guys get a chance to check out and you have any remote interest in it at all, it's a pretty good watch. So I'd throw that out there too. Uh, something else that's going on in the world that we could talk about here. Cause we really don't get to talk about this a whole lot, the Jay, but we're upon the NBA finals now. Uh, and finally the Miami heat closed out the Boston Celtics after, you know, seven games. And Denver's been patiently waiting. But uh, what are you thinking about the uh, the NBA Finals here, the Jay? I got to say off the bat, I really enjoyed the NBA playoffs this year as a whole. Uh, I'm a ca- casual NBA fan, as as we know. We're uh, out of Pittsburgh, and we don't have a, a team in town. But, hey, Ed is a, a fan of the New York Knicks. I've always been a fan of the San Antonio Spurs. And, and uh, you know, I definitely watch basketball and keep up with the NBA casually. But, but when I can, and I was really into this year's playoffs. I thought they were pretty good. You know, L.A. was a big story, you know, a bunch of different really cool storylines. You know, you always have the, the uh, you know, Steph Curry. And, um, I'm brain farting like crazy. The witching hour, early, hey, uh, Golden State. But yeah. It all, it all culminated with, with this big series between the Nuggets and Boston. And Boston coming back, you know, going taking – Miami to game seven for the first time anybody's ever done that come back from 3-0 but nobody's ever come back and won a series which didn't happen um, as we speak the game seven occurred and Miami uh, with a pretty big win uh, over them and now they go into Denver and honestly I think Denver's going to handle the heat pretty well I mean I could see it maybe going five games I don't think it will be a sweep per se but I think Denver uh, has this and is going to be the NBA champions this year. Yeah, that's kind of the same way I feel about it. I just don't think – I mean, I know Miami typically functions regardless of what the situation is, but I just think that with with Jokic, it's, they don't have anybody that can seriously cause him trouble. Uh, and the way the rest of the team's been playing behind him, I mean, I, I just don't – and I know they're going to get deed up pretty good against Miami. Like, Miami's going to do the best that they can, but I just don't think it's going to be enough. That's just – you know – Miami's like that team that is like the little engine that could every year. And then whenever they get there, it's like they run into the the juggernaut team and they just can't do it. So uh, it is what it is, but it's been interesting nonetheless to kind of see, you know, another eight seed go to the finals, which the last time that happened was the first time it happened is when the Knicks did it in 99. Uh, so interesting enough, but yeah, I don't, uh, I don't foresee it being like this amazing series either. I think it's going to be pretty straightforward. Yeah, that's NBA.com mentions three things to watch, which would be Aaron Gordon versus Jimmy Butler. Uh, As they say, the Nuggets are in a weird spot with Butler. He's the obvious player of great concern, but might be a tough matchup uh, because he's too strong for most guards to handle and too quick for most forwards. So they're going to throw Gordon in there for the tricky assignment. So we'll see how that goes. Uh, Big step for the undrafted. Uh, The Heat are winning with a collection of scrappy undrafted players. Uh, So that's a a big thing to look for. Gabe Vincent, Duncan Robinson, Max Struss uh, carrying the flag there for ignored players everywhere. Hey, Ed. And then uh, they mentioned Jamal Murray superstar turn with a question lighten mark. it up yeah so uh those are some things to to look at and of course uh the big one as we know with the the joker jokic uh the way he's playing right now he's just beast mode yeah i mean he's been pretty much the best player in the entire playoff so far in my opinion uh 
you know, and they've literally gone through everybody they played pretty easily. So uh, I don't see that really changing. And they've been sitting at home. You know what I mean? Like they've been resting up. Like they're going to be ready to go. Come yeah, the that first could game. go both ways. But the way the Nuggets are, you know, I don't think they're going to be thrown off by not getting reps or anything like that. I think the rest and is going to help them, like you're saying. They've been the best team in the NBA since the tip off, like of right. the season. So it's I don't really see them faltering now. That'd be ridiculous. So well, covering it here because we don't get to a lot, like you said. Hey Ed, what's your prediction uh, for the NBA probably, Finals? I'll be nice and say Denver in six. Okay. Just, just since I blurted it out, I'll stick with uh, what I blurted out uh, at the outset of our conversation regarding the finals, and I'll say Nuggets in five. But dude, I'll be yeah, I'll be perfectly honest with you too. A, a gentleman sweep for me is not out of the question here either. Like I don't no. think my I think Miami's a really poor matchup, or I think that uh, Denver's a really poor matchup for Miami. So, and that's where I'm going with it. So, but it is what it is. Yeah, that's what they say. Miami has somehow found a way to win in every round. But Denver will be its biggest test yet, literally. Much bigger guys. Yeah. So it's it's going to be wild to see how it, it turns out. I obviously hope it's a good series, but I definitely still see Denver winning pretty much any way you want to cut it. Unless somebody gets hurt or something like that. But that's yeah, it. something weird happens. But uh, but yeah, we are up against our very first commercial break here on the show. And whenever we come back, me and the Jay are going to be talking all about WWE's Night of Champions 2023. So hold on for that and much more. We'll be back right after this right here on the What's Real Podcast. Join us next week for episode 166 of the What's Real Podcast. We're going to take a look at the ESPN 30 for 30 on the American Gladiators, as well as the first episode of the new season of Vice's Dark Side of the Ring, all about Chris Candido and Tammy Sitch. Then the most explosive segment in weekly podcasting returns all through the month of June. Next week, it's Andy Sadaris's do or die. Ha! This is Timothy James with the What's Real Podcast representing Goose for Goose for the 166th episode where the guys get crazy with all kinds of shit like isopods getting eaten, penises, vaginas, buttholes. Hey! Out of here, Timison. That's gross. It's Goose or Goose. Get out of here. All that and much more, but not with all the penises and stuff like he was talking about. Next week on episode 166 of the What's Real Podcast. Hey, everybody. This is Herman James with the What's Real Podcast. Finally giving me something to do here. It's been a while since I talked to you guys, but I'm actually helping them out doing an advertisement for advertisers. That's right. If you would like to advertise here on the What's Real Podcast and join a team, just shoot us an email today. We got cheap, easy, and affordable rates, and we could hook you up with some kick-ass advertisements. Just hit us up at Gmail. It's at whatsrealpod at gmail.com. That's whatsrealpod at gmail.com. Join the team with me, my brother Timothy James, the wizard behind the boards, Cam, the J, and Hey Ed. It's the What's Real team for some advertisers. Hit us up, whatsrealpod at gmail.com today. And we're back, and it is time to get into WWE's Night of Champions pay-per-view uh, from the Middle East. So it is what it is. And- the Jetta Superdome. Hey, yo. Yeah, that's the J Superdome. I didn't know you had a Superdome in, in Saudi Arabia, the J. Yeah, I sold my soul. Eh, why not? But uh, we are going to take a look at the pay-per-view. As we did last week, we did a preview of it. So let's get down to business, the J. We have seven matches for the show. First up was the 
uh, tournament final for the inaugural World Heavyweight Championship. And in 20 minutes and 40 seconds, we saw Seth Rollins defeat AJ Styles by pinfall to win the belt. The J, what'd you think of this one? Great match. It, it was what we were hoping for. Uh, may, maybe not the level of an all-time classic. I think I mentioned that in the preview. Like, you know, why not hope for that? Uh, but it was really, really good. Um, you know, depending on how you want to look at things, you know, if you want to just go balls out and look at it too intricately as far as the uh, match lineup, you know, with this as the opener. But I'll tell you, you know, we'll get to the end, but I, I thought it actually worked out how they bookended the show with, with this title match and, w- and what they uh, decided to go with with the main event. And this was a great way to start things. The crowd was actually pretty good for this. Hey, Ed, I, I was mentioning it as well in the preview that it could kind of be hit or miss because of just the um, the international kind of difference in, in the crowd and stuff. But the atmosphere was actually really good for this. The Saudi crowd was was into it. So uh, that that plays into everything. But yeah, man, this was just back and forth. Ton of amazing spots. Give AJ so much credit for being his age, coming back for, from injury, not having too many high-level matches since coming back, diving right into this and, and putting on a banger with uh with rollins and and i I like the finish you know i i said in the preview as well that i was kind of hoping for aj with my heart but i agreed with you where i figured that they were going to give rollins the title which he definitely deserved but yeah really good time with this with 20 minutes pretty much even uh so really solid match and one one tidbit of information here hey ed that i wanted to mention to you it's something we didn't talk about uh according to wwe.com they completely reset the lineage of this title that Rollins won. Rollins is considered the first ever heavyweight champion with this particular title. Yeah, I did see that. Which is kind of weird. Yeah, I don't know why they would do that. I mean, I guess because the other world title is technically on Roman, which they probably should have just taken that off of him, frankly. Like, you know what I mean? Like, he's the main champion. That's all you have to really say. Like, we're going to go take your other belt or keep the other fucking belt, and we're going to go make another one, and just, you know, you're the undisputed champion, he's the world champion, the lineage for the world championship goes with them. But whatever, I mean, it is what it is, but yeah, I you know, as far as predictions go, definitely thought Rollins would win this one. Uh, Totally understand why they would have him do that. He's going to be, you know, and it's nice too, because if this is going to be the workhorse-like title, then they have every opportunity to make it that. So let's let's see if that's what they actually do with it and, and try and have high quality matches and stuff for the world title. Be a good good thing to do for uh, Rollins' legacy, no doubt about that. If he could pull something like that off, um, and a good choice to, to win the world title. So I'm I'm not mad about that either. Uh, next up, we had Trish Stratus defeated Becky Lynch by pinfall at 14 minutes and 50 seconds. Um, and I said, didn't somebody turn in this match? There was somebody. I fuck because I, I didn't see it. Oh, um, Zoe Stark from NXT got yeah. the call up, so she she was under the ring. There you go. So obviously they're setting up something with her and Becky, but uh, Trish winning. We even said that in the the preview. I believe that Trish would be winning. Yeah, I mean, you know, you got the the storyline that this was kind of like the the battle of the generations with Trish Stratus being a a Hall of Famer and and Becky being kind of in her prime. Uh, So that matchup was interesting. Pretty good match. You know, they they worked hard. They worked good. It was decent. Uh, One thing I wanted to mention, I watched this with my son Jace, who's nine for context, and he even noticed the women throughout this whole show 
having to wear upper body, you know, long yep. sleeve shirts. He's like, why are they all wearing that? And I, you know, explained to him the culture and everything. Uh, but yeah, it was an interesting little tidbit that, that he actually asked me about without, you know, anything getting brought up. He just noticed that and observed that. Uh, but yeah, this, this was pretty good back and forth. And, and as you said, Hey, the finish came with Zoe Stark being under the ring and causing uh, Becky to, to lose. And, and she did a move on the, the floor to Becky and caught her in the, the nose and, once again, Becky was all all bloody and banged up, but it made for a good visual and, and kind of amped up the end a bit. You know, I don't want to see her get hurt, uh, but I don't think, you know, I think it was a complete accident from Zoe Stark. You know, definitely not a good start for an NXT call up to definitely take not. one of, to take one of the top stars and injure. Like, you know, I don't know if she broke her nose, but Becky it, took one in the face. She took one in the face <laughs> for sure. But, um, you know, it helps some things. And, and yeah, they're going to be building that up, um, you know, with Zoe Stark giving her a bit of a rub from from Trish moving forward. So but an OK spot here, you know, 15 minutes was around the, the time they needed. And next up, we had the WWE Intercontinental Championship matchup. And in eight minutes and 35 seconds, we saw Gunther murder Mustafa Ali by pinfall. Uh, yeah, that's basically the exact way that we called this one. That it, it, you know, like maybe some uh, somewhat of a decent showing by Mustafa Ali, and then Gunther wins by murder. That's what it was. Yeah, it was a good showing by Mustafa Ali. Got a little bit of offense in there. The crowd was really behind him, too. Um, we, we mentioned it. I'm not sure what his ethnicity is, but he did wear like the, um, you know, again, I'm ignorant towards it, but like the the headgear kind of thing to the ring and stuff because, you know, Sami Zayn wore a specific garment as well that, that we could talk about. Uh, down the line here, but but the crowd was definitely into this one because of that, and it made Ali a pretty good baby's face against Gunther. But like you said, and, and we called that, got to pat the the back head in the preview that Mustafa Ali was going to have some bumps and bruises, and he surely did with some of Gunther's chops. And then the ending was a, a double taking your head off lariat <laughs> campaign yep. there, um, and led into a big power bomb. Uh, just shy of 10 minutes. So the timing there and the pacing was was good. So this was a really good slot on the pay-per-view and a very good showing for Gunther, who's having a hell of an IC title reign. And next up was the WWE Raw Women's Championship. And in 15 minutes, we saw Asuka defeat Bianca Belair to win the Women's Championship by pinfall. Uh, surprise. Uh, we both said that Bianca was going to keep in this match, uh, and she didn't. And I thought it was kind of odd timing to take the belt offer, but I mean, it's Oscar. I'm not mad at it. Yeah, this was a really good match. We called that too. These these two women are great in ring performers, very athletic, and we knew that the the matchup's good, especially you know this being the second really big stage for them to go at it on uh, from their stemming from their WrestleMania match and everything like that. And hey, Ed, I got to tell you, really really cool ending here. Very creative where Asuka went for the mist and Belair ducked. So she missed, missed the mist. But at one point, she's on the apron and um, the KOD was kind of distracted. Belair was distracted. So Asuka like, put the mist that was from her mouth all over her fingers and they like get a really good shot of it. And so when um, Belair picks Asuka up to do the finish, she rubs it all in her eyes. And it led to a go. kick. Yeah, so it was really good with Asuka being a heel now in a, in a very creative way to use the mist after she missed it with the spray. So that that I wanted to mention. I really like that finish. And another one that we called exactly how we thought it would be the J is the WWE SmackDown Women's Championship when Rhea Ripley pinned Natalia 
in a minute and 10 seconds. Not yep. a big surprise there. Poor, poor Natalia. I think she's just happy to have a, a complete long-ass career making really good money with the WWE for 15-plus years. Uh, she just does her her part, and that's what they needed here was a squash. Uh, you would have think that they would have given her a little bit of a – a rub gave her like at least five minutes, but she didn't nope. even make, she didn't even make a minute and a half. Hey, yeah, you know, but Dude, like imagine, you said, it's <laughs> imagine traveling from the United States to fucking Saudi Arabia to have a match for a minute, a minute and four seconds. Yeah. It's, it's just sad, but again, that, that's kind of a role and it is what it is, but we figured Ripley was going to run all over just not that quickly, but whatever, I guess it kind of makes sense. It, it makes Rhea stronger. Um, instead of having them go like 15 minutes or something. So it is what it is. And next up is a match that we basically called the J. So because we know our booking, Brock Lesnar defeated Cody Rhodes by technical submission in nine minutes and 40 seconds. Basically what we called it to be. Yeah, we did, except Cody had a little more offense th- than I expected. I will say that. And this was honestly a little bit better of an actual match than I expected. I, I, I said in the preview, I was thinking that they might do, I, I wasn't thinking of a run in, but I was thinking Brock was just going to lose it. And like they sent all the agents down and all that sort of thing, but they actually went at it pretty good for, for a while. Like, you know, like you said, it's shy of 10 minutes. That's not the most time in the world, but it wasn't just some schmoz either. And, and they did it correctly within the storyline with Cody being all beaten up from Brock and everything. And they kind of played with the, the Kimura and he ended up just putting them on the Kimura. And then it goes on to keep building up their feud throughout the summer that we predicted. Uh, we think this is going to culminate at, at SummerSlam as our assumptions. I'm thinking it's going to be some sort of a gimmick match between these two at SummerSlam. Like a, yeah, like a um, Falls Count Anywhere or Last Man Standing or some such thing. Uh, but, but yeah, I like what they did for the story. And, and of course, the big part of it, too, with Cody passing out, he didn't tap. So that's, that's the, yep. the excuse to keep Cody a bit strong is that he was hurt going into this against the beast. And then on top of everything else, he didn't pass out or I'm sorry, he didn't tap out. He passed out. There you go. So not a bad idea. And as we knew, like we knew the feud wasn't over. Right. Was yeah. Continue, we we, we so. know this is their big summer feud. Exactly. And in the main event, we saw Sami Zayn and Kevin Owens defeat the bloodline members, Roman Reigns and Solo Sokoa for the undisputed tag team championships, or I should say to keep them in 26 minutes and 25 seconds. Uh, sounded like a really good match. Uh, definitely was not expecting what they did afterwards, which was essentially having the Usos break away from Roman Reigns and Sokoa. Uh, but that storyline is still progressing too, which is, again, dude, they're finding ways, in my opinion, to make it interesting. And uh, it's still one of the more compelling things that they have going in the company. I'm with you. I'm still not sick of this and all these guys that have, have been attached for quite some time now, basically a year, year plus, whatever it's been. But like you said, they're keeping it fresh. They're they're doing well. It's a really good slow burn as far as being a consistent wrestling fan and seeing where this goes from week to week, you know, SmackDown to SmackDown, pay-per-view to pay-per-view. And, and as you said, we called that as Roman Reigns and Sokoa versus Sammy and, and Kevin's just a solid chemistry matchup. Sol- Solo did his part really good. We, we mentioned he's Really good rookie. Uh, definitely give him uh, contention for rookie of the year in WWE. I mean, he's just not missed a beat, kind of hit the ground running since his call-up from NXT. So I, I wanted to give him some credit there. He did his part within this. And, and yeah, just great storytelling in this match. Uh, had the time, just shy of closing in on a half hour for the main event. And, and as I mentioned at the outset, talking about the world championship opener, it's like if you're not going to have the first ever crowning of the WWE champion main event, 
then you're going to have to bring it with something really good. And this did that, you know, you kind of forgot about worrying about the match match plate placement or whatever. It was a solid main event. And, and as you mentioned, Hey Ed, the, the Usos coming down and, and really good storytelling here where they finally turn on, on Roman, but they, they still kept it open-ended because Jimmy's the one that super kicked Roman twice. And Jay was kind of screaming at him and Jimmy had to talk him into leaving with them. He's like, I got you. I'm and your Jay- brother. And Jay was the one that was getting berated after the shit happened anyways by right. Roman. So so they kind of leave that to to tell more of this this story. So uh really good and, and a good way to end the show. And Roman just, you know, not not knowing what to do at the end there. Uh, but he'll have uh Heyman and Solo moving forward. So we'll see what happens with the Usos storyline wise moving forward. And again, uh, building up to SummerSlam. You know, that's that's what we're kind of looking at here. Although a, a very interesting pay-per-view coming in July too that we'll be talking about. Uh, as the next WWE pay-per-view is, of course, Money in the Bank, which is always a, a fun show with the big Money in the Bank matches as well. And the Jade, you want to hit him with a letter grade for this one? Yeah, I'd, I'd give this show a solid B. You know, solid okay. B show. Um, it was it was well paced. There wasn't really anything overly disappointing. You know, even like the little kind of matches, like the Rhea stuff. You, you know, like we broke down, it kind of makes sense for what it was and everything like that. So, yeah, I I, I think this is a solid B all day. All right. Sounds good to Jay. So we are going to take another commercial break. And whenever we come back, we're going to be talking AEW's Double or Nothing 2023 uh, from the night after this. So uh, hang tight. We'll be back right up to this right here on the What's Real podcast. Hey, Yins, guys. That's right. It's your boy, the Jay. Once again, as the great Chris Jericho used to say, representing the dub R question mark, the What's Real podcast. And I am here today for local Pittsburgh area independent production company, Churchill Pictures. And the Jay can admit, for those consistently listening week to week, we have ads for Churchill Pictures. You may be rolling your eyes, but this time, this week, I have a gift for you where you can watch some of our feature films for free for the first time. For those that don't know, Churchill Pictures is based out of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, established from the bond of two childhood friends. Churchill Pictures envisions creating visual content that is completely original, thought-provoking, and most importantly, entertaining. Check all the information out at churchillpictures.com today. And as I said at the top of the ad, your chance to see their two feature films for free. Just subscribe to YouTube's Churchill Pictures channel. Go to YouTube, subscribe to the Churchill Pictures channel, and you'll be able to watch the full feature film, the 2012 Silver Ace Award winner from the Las Vegas Film Festival, Deference. Deference, the full movie, is for free on our YouTube channel. Then our second feature film, The Unsung, is now available for free on Tubi. Tubi is a free streaming site, just has a little bit of ads, but you can get used to them. Check us out on Tubi. All you have to do is register for Tubi, or if you're already registered, go on ahead and sign in on Tubi and just search The Unsung. The Unsung is now streaming for free on Tubi. Check us out today at churchillpictures.com or YouTube Deference to be the unsung Churchill Pictures we create worlds and we're back and it is time to talk about AEW's double or nothing pay-per-view this was live from Las Vegas and Nevada also known as Paradise Nevada Paradise May 28th at the T-Mobile Arena And first up, let's see here. We have 
a shitload of matches, 11 matches on the show, including some uh, a pre-show matchup, which was the six-man tag that we talked about. The Hardys, uh, along with Hook and Isaiah Cassidy, who was originally supposed to be in the match, defeated Ethan Page and the Guns, Austin and Colton, by submission in 15 minutes and 10 seconds. No idea if you saw this match or not, Jay. Yeah, we did. It was like we thought it was going to be. It was goofy, fun for what it was, though. But it, it did go a little too long. It was dragging out a bit. But, you know, it is what it is. We kind of saw that writing on the wall for this one. And we also saw the Blackjack Battle Royals start the show. And in 22 minutes and 25 seconds, we saw Orange Cassidy win by last eliminating Swerve Strickland. Uh, this sounded like fun, pretty much is exactly what we we would have expected out of this. Yeah, but you, you know what I was thinking of during this, Hey Ed? Because we, we talk about the current AEW product kind of falling a bit for, for our taste. And, and we championed AEW over WWE for a while here on the podcast being in season four. And we always said we call it like we see it. And the WWE product is, is taking a turn for the better. And I still enjoy AEW, but I think it has a lot of holes right now. And they, they have a lot to do to kind of get back on track. And my point to bringing that up here is in this battle royal, you kind of see the fact that AEW's roster is too big right now. And maybe if Tony Khan can do it right with this new show coming collision, uh, as we speak in, in a few weeks, it's mid-June uh, here as we go ahead into June, uh, maybe they could filter in guys because they're talking about doing some semblance of a brand split with an AEW yeah. because of all this. So like my point is maybe that that will help the roster. But again, watching this pay-per-view, seeing some of the guys in this battle royal, it's just such an eclectic group of goofs. And they just have so many goddamn people in AEW right now that you forget about or they don't do all that much stuff with. And you don't know who's under what, what contracts with guys like, say, Bandito or, you know, and you have Tony Nice still around. And then they just yeah. signed Jay White, you know. Yeah. So I, I just thought that kind of brought up that point um, with this battle royal and all these different characters in it. But nonetheless, back to the the task at hand, Hey Ed, as you said, we kind of called it. It, it was a, a fun part. It definitely was entertaining. It was kind of different with the the whole blackjack gimmick than than your typical battle royal. So at least there was like a little bit of different rules and things, and 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 it was it was fun. All right. Next up was the unsanctioned mass match with Sabu as the special guest enforcer. Uh, we saw Adam Cole defeat Chris Jericho by referee stoppage in seventeen minutes. Uh, I did see that Sabu put somebody through a table, so that was kind of <laughs> yeah. unexpected slash expected, if that right. makes sense. Uh, but this one seemed like it was a pretty solid match. Yeah, I mean, it was one of those things I think that they were overreaching, though. Hey, okay. I, you know, like I, I think they were trying to do too much. They overthought it, and, and they're trying to make this, which I don't blame them, but they they were trying to make this like a, a legendary match or something and, and just going for it, but it was kind of throwing it off. If, if you know what I mean, it was like kind of just doing, you know, trying to do too much as opposed to, you, you know what they say, hey, Ed, so, sometimes little is better, you know? Yeah, um, less is more. Less is more, exactly. So, but but nonetheless, uh, again, I, I can't, I hate to not, to, to use the same word over and over, but it's it's the best way to use here. It was it was entertaining, um, but there was just parts that kind of dragged and, and the finish was kind of goofy because like they end up just making it a no contest. Yeah. And you can also tell too. And Sabu, that, other than the the splash, I just wanted to say he, you know, 
I, I was looking for something maybe more for, from him. There was really no point, you know? Well, they have him as the special guest enforcer, and I'm going to tell you momentarily why that's stupid, okay? So next up, we're going to the AEW World Tag Team Championship match, and in 20 minutes, we saw FTR defeat Jeff Jarrett and Jay Lethal uh, by pinfall uh, for the tag titles, uh, which they kept. And the part that was stupid about Sabu being the special guest enforcer was this match had Mark Briscoe as a special guest referee. Like, does, that shouldn't be on. There should be nothing like that twice on a card. There you That's go. Stupid. Yeah, exactly. But, Overbooking or something. Yes. But at least I thought the right team won the match. Like, they, the FTR deserves a little bit of a run here in the company. Yeah. And then th- this part here, too, with uh, Britt Baker, they're, they're starting a mixed tag storyline, it looks like, with Soraya teaming up with Jericho to kind of keep this going. And and I don't know about that either. Like, we were, we were talking about that where, like, Soraya needs something other just being a part of the outcasts. And she hasn't had any sort of a – a splash at all with an AEW. The, the matches she's been in have been lackluster. Her promos are kind of awkward, and she's just not really finding her place right now. So I think teaming with Jericho, if, if he can't help her with a rub, I, I don't know what they're going to do with her because she's probably a lot of money. Yeah, I think it's the worst signing the company's done to date. So well, there you go. It is what it is. But, uh, you know, as far as the tag match goes, the Jay, do you think that was pretty much what you you were going to see out of FTR and Jared and Lethal? Yeah, we mentioned this was just kind of a stepping stone for FTR because they kind of just rewon the belts and they just needed, you know, heel opponents just to have kind of a, you know, your typical, like this was almost like a TNA-esque match from back in the day, you know? Mm-hmm. Of course, I'd probably bring that up because of Jared and, of course, Lethal too with their, uh, you know, history with that particular company back in the day. But that's kind of what this reminded me of uh you had karen jarrett hit aubrey the ref with the guitar with the guitar yeah. within this so so that was like a funny part and and as you mentioned other than that they they did some spots with mark briscoe involved as the guest ref and everything but it, it really you know wasn't anything that stood out and um this this one was a little long too it was almost 20 minutes uh, i think they could have shaved some minutes off of it but uh, again this this went in with, with what we were thinking for our preview and next up was the ladder match for the AEW TNT Championship, and we saw Wardlow successfully defeat Christian Cage in 17 minutes and 10 seconds. I uh, haven't heard a whole lot about this one, the J, but I, it, from the looks of it, I thought it was going to be much better and a lot more people would be talking about it, but I guess that's not the case. No, I enjoyed it. There was just – it was a chemistry issue, I think, hey, Ed. I mean, there were some Man. cool spots. They they had some issues with the ladders. Uh, the the one ladder broke. It it set for some some kind of goofiness. I mean, one huge highlight was of course Luchasaurus ends up coming down mid match. Christian initially came down by himself, but Luchasaurus would come down, end up involved, and he would end up taking the Swanton from Wardlow off okay. the ladder through a table. So that was that was pretty big, you know, seeing Wardlow do a Jeff Hardy swanton off a ladder through a table on the floor uh of course due to luchasaurus over the older christian um and, and smaller christian you know lucha could take it but still a really big highlight uh, another funny part was of course within storyline wardlow's coach is arn anderson yeah so he came down and got involved and, and and got bloodied up a bit so uh there were some funny memes with him because he he had some like spotty blood on his face and he was just making this goofy face in the corner and the meme compared him to like a half-eaten piece of pie. 
which was <laughs> you know it was pretty funny. Uh, but other than that, yeah, I think it, it could have been much better. Um, this one even went a little long just for what they were doing. I thought you know that that seventeen minute runtime closing on twenty minutes, uh, but I thought it was okay. It just certainly wasn't a great match, and the crowd wasn't that into this really either, other than the big spot. Okay. Uh, next up was the AEW Women's World Championship, and in three minutes and five seconds, we saw Tony Storm defeat Jamie Hayter by pinfall. And word is that Jamie Hayter is legitimately hurt, uh, and this is a really bad idea too. And I'll explain as the show goes on, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, these two, when they're both healthy, match up pretty well. Uh, we we said that as well in the preview that that they're both hard hitters. Uh, they're, they're both in their primes, all that kind of stuff. But unfortunately, Jamie Hader was hurt. At least they did add a little bit to it with, within the, the storyline when she was coming out for her entrance. Tony Storm had come out first, and then she came like kind of uh, falling out of the locker room. And then, of course, the outcasts were behind her and had attacked her backstage. So at least that yeah. adds a little bit you know, into it with the, an actual injury and stuff. And I, I guess specifically it's her arm. Uh, so they, they kind of, you know, pulled that into the match too. Like she was selling the arm and everything. So it, it made it okay. But uh, again, this, this wasn't anywhere near what these two women were capable, capable of. I mean, if you remember last year, they wrestled in a, in a big title match in which uh, Tony storm went over uh, again at full gear. Yeah. And that was like one of the best women's matches AEW ever had. So it shows you what they can do, but I, I got to point out too, cause I always reference Tony's uh, derriere with, the, with her uh, one move being sweet cheeks music. Always kills yes. me because she hit that. So, uh, but yeah, I mean, it, it's kind of a wash, wash out just for the fact that we know in, in real life and all that that, that Jamie Hayter's hurt. So, um, w- with that knowledge, there, there wasn't much they could do, and, and they did all right, all things considered, with the storyline. Next up was the six man tag team match, the Open House Rules for the AEW World Trios Championship, and in 15 minutes and 30 seconds, the House of Black, Malachi Black, Brody King, and Buddy Matthews defeated the acclaimed team of Anthony Bowens, Max Caster, and Billy Gunn by pinfall. Um, yeah, it's the acclaimed star has fallen greatly, which is kind of a shame because they were at one point probably the most overact in the entire company. Um, and since losing the tag belts, it's like they have nothing for them. And I'm still not a fan of the House of Black. They do this thing now where they like light up the ring and everything else is dark. And it's they have just special like, rules. Yeah, I just don't like it, and it's whatever. But yeah, this this seems kind of. I, I think you know we we knew they were going to fight somebody in a to be announced uh, trios tag match, uh, but I didn't know it was going to be the acclaimed Billy Gunn. So I would have kind of groaned at that too, because you you know who's going to win this match, and it's not the acclaimed. And uh, again, I I think the I'd rather have the acclaimed on TV every week than the House of Black, but maybe that's just me. Yeah, one of the early highlights of this was of course the the acclaims entrance and max caster's raps and he said a bunch of, of good stuff like you know something about uh, malachi being in blackface and getting away with it them being the house of black with no black dudes but the line of the night went to him saying buddy murphy acts or i'm sorry uh what's his we always forget his buddy life. matthews <laughs> buddy matthews that's a tough one buddy matthews acts all ominous when he getting cocked by a kid named dominic <laughs> <laughs> which led the to rio ripley uh responding hey dom we're over in two companies and then dom responding with a, a meme of the fresh prince saying like i mean so it looks like they're having fun with that and for those that don't know listening to us uh rhea ripley and, and buddy matthews are in a real life relationship so that, that all goes into it uh, funny stuff there but yeah ma- match wise uh this was another one i gotta say dude and you you called it hey ed 
quality over quantity. In, in the WWE Night of Champions we just covered with seven matches, this this one is just – he just puts too much different matches on the pay-per-view. I know you got to get people on, et cetera, but quality over quantity, and this one went too long. You know, just uh, – There you go. It seems like every match has to be 15 minutes plus, and it, it just was dragging some of these. So I, I thought it was too long, uh, and, and again – it's kind of a weird matchup when you have the house of black. That's like this dark act versus the acclaimed and daddy ass being involved. So uh, I don't think the chemistry meshed too well here and it went too, too long. So yeah, not, not a great slot. Well, you know, it wasn't like it was a dud, but yeah, nothing, nothing to write home about. Next up, we had the AEW TBS championship on the line as Jade Cargill would defeat Taya Valkyrie by pinfall at eight minutes and 50 seconds. But that really wasn't the story here because Jade, again, opened up an open contract to fight whoever wants to come down to wrestle her. And Chris Statlander would come out and defeat Jade Cargill by pinfall in 48 seconds to become the new AEW TBS champion. Uh, that's why I said that it was a stupid idea to change the women's world title on the same show because Statlander coming back was a big deal. Plus, Statlander coming back to win the AEW TNT or TBS championship is another big deal. And the fact that she's doing it against Jade Cargill, who was 60 and 0 before that is even bigger deal. So you kind of like, you know, bury the lead with that. Uh, they they would have probably been better off just having Jamie Hayter be injured and the match can't continue type thing. And it's a no contest if they were going to do something like this, because they're technically giving you an extra unannounced match anyway. Yeah, and that's all great points, hey, Ed, because what I had to say about this, just like we we covered and went through everything, and you could tell by my reactions on each each uh, part of the card here, this was the first moment on this show that legitimately felt special. You know, this is the first thing that really – Nine out. matches in. Too, Nine matches in, and just, you know, these guys are working hard. I, I give them credit. I don't want to shit on it, but, yeah, I mean, you know, again, just breaking it down, things were just off tonight. Uh, for 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 my opinion and, and for my liking, uh, still entertaining enough. It's not like I'm like, oh, I can't believe we we ordered this pay per view. But uh, nonetheless, just wanted to point that out that this really stood out, and, and I completely agree. You know, kind of overshadowed with uh, two women's championships and, and the what's considered the more uh, legit belt going to Tony Storm there. Uh, kind of Crystal Statlander here beating a sixty and OJ Cargill with. Uh, not too much fanfare, even though this was a really cool moment. So, you know, they could have done this better. And I think that's our point. Hey, Ed, talking out loud is, you know, TK got to really rein himself in here with the booking. Just over. I think so too. Yeah. I, I completely agree. I think that there's so much more that needs to be tightened up and, you know, it might sound like we're nitpicking here, but it's like, again, the same thing goes for them. That really goes for WWE. Like they have all everything at their disposal and there's really no reason to be doing anything bad. So it's going to get amplified whenever they do pointless, stupid, weird shit. Right. Uh, and, you know, some of the stuff on here is questionable, to say the least. Uh, even on paper, this doesn't even sound that great of a show. And I'm sure it's better than than what it sounds like, too. But still, it just doesn't. Yeah, I mean, watching it, it live, you're, you're entertained enough. But, but I agree. I mean, especially, again, a hindsight thing here on the What's Real podcast doing the review and, and just realizing, like, yeah, man, there's not really anything that stood out and, and going into our next slot, like on top of everything else, you have the, the, the quote unquote pillars of AEW in the world championship. And it didn't even main event. Exactly. I was going to bring that up too, which, you know, I wouldn't have a, a big problem with an AEW world title match, not main eventing. Um, but it, it's just, I'm, I'm sorry with the pillars and everything else. Like that's really like showing what you think of them. Sadly. 
Exactly. Uh, but let's go into that. The AEW World Championship in a four-way match. We saw MJF defeat Sammy Guevara, Darby Allen, and Jungle Boy Jack Perry by pinfall at 27 minutes and 50 seconds. Uh, this match, from everything that I heard, was really, really good. Um, I No surprise, because we both said MJF isn't losing the belt here. Um, but a lot of this, the build for this, the, the it just kind of felt rushed up the way that they did it. And again, like you said, the four pillars of the company and the AEW World Championship matchup, not main eventing here, is just, I, I don't know. It, it's a weird its a weird way of doing it. As the great British Bulldog said, it's bizarre. Bizarre. Yeah, before the match, Sammy Gravara and Tay Mello came out and used cue cards to announce that she's pregnant. So I'm sure you're happy about that. Hey, yeah, because it looks yeah, like she'll thrilled. be gone for a year. Yeah, great. <laughs> Um, no, but like regarding her being gone for a year. So. Oh yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm either or. Whatever. I know. I know it's, you're not like jumping in your your chair that they're pregnant, but yeah, it's Ty Mello's gone for nine months plus. So I figured you'd be happy about that. Uh, but but yeah, I mean, I, I just think um, th- th- it was kind of just weird to do it like this, like you broke down. But it is what it is. And the actual match was good, though. It, it was a good match, as you would expect with the, this four talent. Um, as we're saying here within a theme, though, it was nothing that, that's going to blow you away or, or nothing special. And that's a problem, you know, especially as we say, we like AEW setup of having uh, just a few pay-per-views a year that they can build up to almost like the old days as a pair, as a, you know, in comparison, as we always do to WWE that's had for some time, the monthly pay-per-views and everything. And, and you have to really hit a home run if you can. You know, I mean, it's going to be a while till their next pay-per-view. And this one just did not hit the mark. Uh, again, this match was 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 decent enough. Uh, you know, you got young guys in their prime doing the best they can. You know, tons of crazy spots, a bunch of Canadian destroyers. Uh, MJF was hilarious in this. He was like yelling shit during the match that was cracked. No, I did see, yeah, I did see that. Yeah. He's like, you're a fucking idiot. <laughs> yeah. You just, I'm like, you're going to do that more. You know, that was good. Um MJF uh, busted out the blonde bombshell. So we'll oh, get into cool. it with some some programming notes, but that coincides with uh, the dark side of the ring. And it's true. Candida. Uh, but uh, but yeah, I mean, it, it was good enough for what it was. But uh, again, it just there's just something off. You know, it didn't main event. And then, you know, you have Max going over, which we called and figured. And I think that was the right way to go. But, you know, it, it was a good match. A lot of action, decent storytelling. But it was just missing something for the J. Okay. And in the main event, we had the Anarchy in the Arena match, which saw the Blackpool Combat Club team of Brian Danielson, John Moxley, Claudio Castagnoli, and Wheeler Yuta defeat the Elite team of Kenny Omega, Matt and Nick Jackson, and Hangman Adam Page by pinfall in 27 minutes. Um you know, the, I you know I've heard that this match was also a lot of fun too, but I don't like the placement of it. Um, I, I think that that kind of hurts the match, especially too because I haven't really enjoyed the build up to this. I know that a lot of people seem to be big on what they're doing with Blackpool Combat Club, but like I'm not really too big on it. It's like whatever to me, um, and it this just didn't feel like it was built up to the level yet of doing this type of match. Like they threw this. This was like the last announced match for the show. And then it ends up main event and like it's again, questionable booking stuff that, you know, I don't understand why they're doing it that way. But, um, you know, I do expect a little bit better out of Tony and and AEW as far as this stuff goes, because they're not doing pay-per-views every month either. So they have plenty of time to kind of flesh out what they're doing. And the fact that it feels like this pay-per-view feels like it was put together like they do pay-per-views every month and it should never feel like that. 
Completely agree. Yeah. I mean, there, there were some funny highlights early. Uh, the BCC came out to a live performance of wild thing. Yeah. And uh, so they, they were playing it on a loop, you know, like as we say all the time, Hey, and shout out to our man, new Jack. Um, and there was just so much stuff going in and everybody's like bleeding and everything. And, and again, pat ourselves on the back, the old Barry Horowitz here at the what's real podcast. I, I called this my video game match, you know, in quotes. And, and that's pretty much what this was. Uh, especially at the outset here, which is all kinds of plunder going on, people bleeding. And the wild thing loop ended when the Bucks double super kicked the lead singer. So that yeah. was great. <laughs> um, you know, of, of course, a big viral thing uh, highlight coming from this was the exploding super kick spot uh, on the Moxley where uh, Nick Jackson super kicked Moxley and his Air Jordan uh, just – I guess, you know, mini exploded in his face, you could say. So, so that was good. Uh, there was some storytelling callbacks with like hangman and Kenny working together and accidentally hitting each other and they're fighting everywhere. And again, it was the, uh, the, the, the video game style match, just all kinds of fucking crazy shit going on. Uh, Matt Jackson, uh, got his sneaker taken off and he had his bare foot slammed in the thumbtacks. Okay. So that was pretty brutal. Um, the exploding we- boot. There was a good one with uh, the dead eye into the one winged angel that ended in a, a pin that was broken up. Uh, you know, Don Callis, of course, got involved and it came to a, a guy that came out of the crowd. So that was going to be interesting to see who that was. And of course, it was revealed to be Takashita. Yeah. So, he, so he's with uh, Callis now. Um, and you uh, added a shot with a screwdriver and would pin Omega to win it all. Uh, so that was really surprising. Yuta getting a, a pin on Omega via screwdriver to end it. So I think through all this, you know, that kind of ending on top of everything else. And, and we broke down this pay-per-view, how we feel after that, you're just kind of like, yeah, that was definitely lackluster. All right. And uh, one interesting note for this show, I don't know if you realize this or not the Jay, but uh, we didn't do the coverage on the show for this, but this show was held at the same day and time as NXT battleground. Uh, which actually marked the first time since April of 1989 the two major promotions produced major events head-to-head after WWE's WrestleMania V and World Championship Wrestling's Clash of the Champions VI. So that's, you know, kind of a big deal, I guess, in the world of wrestling. That's interesting. You know, we we would also remember those dates as being something where that happened. Um, But the J, would he give a, a letter grade for double or nothing? Dude, all things considered, this was on pace to be AEW's worst pay-per-view to me. I mean, when you really yeah. break it down, and that's that's not even shitting on them. That's actually giving them a kind of backhanded compliment, if you will, just due to the fact that I think their pay-per-views are traditionally really good, and and they've kind of been dying down in the, in the hype. I mean, the, the pay-per-view before this w- was kind of fallen from the ones previous. So that, that's not a good pace to be on. But nonetheless, it kind of picked up a bit here and there that I, I might not say it's the, the worst ever or, and whatnot, but all in all, all things considered, I, and I, I think I'm giving them even a little bit of credence, uh, as we say, just uh, somebody that respects professional wrestling, just for the effort of the roster, I'll, I'll give it a solid C. Okay. So, yeah, that's probably definitely the lowest grade that I could remember us ever giving a, yeah. an AEW pay-per-view here on the show. But Call it like you see it, hey, y'all. Exactly. So we're up against another commercial break here. And whenever we come back, it is the return of Thursday night. Oh, shit. Yeah. Action USA, guys. Uh, Yeah, he's all. Yeah, the J is super fucked up. But 
Action USA, uh, 1989. I'm fine, actually. I don't know why. But, uh, but yeah, well, we'll, we'll be back right after this, uh, right here on the What's Real Podcast. Gross Fest returns in a big way this year, Saturday, August 5th, 2023. We're going to party like Gross Fest 2018 because unlike other conventions, we are sticking with pre-COVID prices. Only $10 a ticket to get in. It's at the Comfort Inn Conference Center, Pittsburgh East. That's the Comfort Inn Conference Center, Pittsburgh East, 699 Rhode Eye Road, Pittsburgh, PA, 15235, 412-244-1600 or www.comfortinpittsburgh.com. A one-day event with guests, movies, filmmakers, and vendors from 11 a.m. to 7 p.m. Gross Fest 2023. It's time for Thursday Night Pride. And we're back. Uh, the return of Thursday Night Pride. Uh, the Jays bandaged fuck. up. You all right, man? Fuck. Yeah, Nux here. We got a new nurse, Nurse Bubbles. She helped me out. <laughs> My wife Katie's pissed. She wanted me to suffer. Yeah, but which I, I, I kind of wanted you to. I mean, I, I don't know how the hell... I dodged all that. That was uh, weird. For those for listening, once. you know, through the weeks, especially last week, we were finishing some construction, uh, but that became the issue. Uh, we were fully distracted. Things weren't ready. We weren't prepared. And uh, yeah, I, luckily I had, you know, obviously we both wear the, the Lord vest. Hey, Ed. Uh, but yeah, I, I caught a sol- solid slug right to the chest, threw me off my computer chair here at the Woods Real Studios. Um, you know, Nux couldn't get in in time. So uh, luckily, they fade, you know they were able to keep the guys off, and there were ninjas involved, so we're having the ninjas come back for attack. So that's not a good sign, Hayad. But we have to be more prepared in the future, as we are doing a full month of TNP here going into June. But we better be, or we're we're really up shit's creek here. But uh, but anyway, moving on to the movie this week, uh, we are going back to 1989 with former stuntman John Stewart's Action USA. After her boyfriend is murdered by the gangsters whose diamonds he stole, a girl is protected by two FBI agents who plan to keep her from sharing the same fate. Uh, so this is kind of like, what if William, William Smith and Cameron Mitchell had a cameo in a movie about Mac's dad from It's Always Sunny as an FBI agent? Yeah. Uh, which is, you know, is about as weird as it sounds. Um, now, it's very, very light on plot. And it tries to be heavy on action, but there's only like a couple action sequences in this that are really good. But everything else is just kind of like very much there. Uh, like, it's yeah, like, your okay. typical low budget 89 action shit. But what I had to say, though, was, you know, who the MVP of this movie is, the J. Oh, um, I'm trying to think. Throw it out his head. It's the main villain in the movie. The, oh, the, Jago. Dude, that motherfucker. Yeah, he's hilarious. Ha, has some of the funniest lines. Like, like he first shows up and he's like in a duster and a cowboy. Yeah, he's dressed hat. like a cowboy. He's like, when I and come he's to like, Texas. And that guy's like, what are you doing? You're not a cowboy. And he's like, when I'm in Texas, I dress like I'm in Texas. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like, here we go. And then, yeah, like, because you know pretty much from the first scene that he's in that he's that dude. He's going to be the dickhead dude with all the goofy one-liners or just says, like, the most crash shit ever. 
constantly. And that's literally what he is, like 100%. He makes this movie worthwhile, where otherwise it probably wouldn't be. I, I did get dragged in initially, like as you ran down the the, the quick synopsis with the boyfriend um, as he's murdered by gangsters over, over stealing the diamonds. So the whole opening segment is him going to bang uh, the beautiful uh, Carmen, played by Barry Murphy. So, you know, you got our classic Thursday night prime boobs right away. And yep. Car- Carmen has some nice ones, so give her credit there. And, of course, they're interrupted by the two dudes who that, – that was kind of a show stealer was the the dude that was the, the Latino, like, gangster guy that was shooting yeah. out of the car. He was hilarious. Yep. That, that wasn't uh, – what's his name from the Basket Case movie, was it? It was not. Remember the pimp? Yes. What was it his name? Not. I fuck if I know, but it is not him. <laughs> so anyway, I digress. But uh, so the, the, the whole opening scene is is this chase where they're chasing. It's a, a shootout uh, a car chase. And that, that was the first pretty good stunt. There's a situation where there was a car accident involving a school bus. And of yeah. course, there's like a, a tow truck that has like its its back pu- like pulled down to the street. So the, the, they're getting chased and they're in front of the, the villains. And he's like hold on, we're going airborne. And of course they, they hit it and do the stunt over the school bus. And it was like some evil Knievel shit. They land on all these cars that were backed up. So yep. that was pretty good. And then of course the, the two villains, instead of doing a jump, they just crashed through a van completely. Yep. So uh, that was a good part. And, and basically from there, they kidnap uh, her boyfriend and, and Carmen and they take them to like this area where they're going to try to get the diamonds off of them. And then the the lead villain just pull, pulls the gun on them. And I thought they were going to do something where the dude gets out of it. Because I have never seen this one. Throw that out there. Same. And he, he goes to shoot him. And it's the funniest thing ever. In slow motion, the, the boyfriend's just like, motherfucker. And just gets shot. <laughs> yeah, he gets shot twice in slow motion. And goes flying halfway down a hill. And he's just, a, as we call him, a duster. Uh, meaning that he's dead. He, yes, he's, to, he's into dust. My he's dad deceased. coined that phrase. He's deceased. He's a duster. Uh, but that started things pretty well for me for a cheesy late '80s uh, B-level action movie, which is all about Thursday Night Prime. Yeah, it's kind of like if Lethal Weapon has too much plot for you, then watch Action USA because exactly. that's basically it, it's like a poor man's Lethal Weapon. Uh, it's you know it moves along. I mean, it has 97 minute runtime, and there's just a bunch of action. The plot line is completely useless in this one for the most part. It's just watching the characters do stupid shit while they blow stuff up. And it's not bad on that level. I mean, it's not good, but it's definitely not bad. It's entertaining. It was better than I thought it was. Yeah, better than I thought it was going to be. Let's say that. And Gregory Scott Cummings character, Osborne, his partner was his nickname was Panama. Yeah. And he was pretty funny. And like you said, it got the lethal weapon vibe where uh, Panama is African-American and great Gregory Scott Cummins. Although I don't even know if he's fully Caucasian. He's one of them dudes that looks like he's Irish, Arabian, Russian, Cherokee. Hispanic. And <laughs> yeah, I don't know what Chinese. Is. But uh, but they, they did have decent chemistry. Car- Car- the Carmen character is a bit annoying. You know, she's hot, but it's the classic thing where she's bitching a lot. And as the viewer, you kind of get annoyed by her, which is funny. Um, That's true. But but yeah, one thing, um, and, and we call it the flow of the show here on the What's Roll podcast, uh, open up with a, a bit of a tribute to um, 
Gary, I'm brain farting like crazy. Hey, uh, Gary, Gary Kent. And, and this was a lot of solid stuntman work in this. Um, at, at the a outset, lot of, a lot of guys falling off shit, shit, big time. Like uh, the very first kind of big one was, uh, the said Carmen's boyfriend, he, he gets kidnapped and they take him away in a helicopter and they're trying to intimidate him by hanging him out of the helicopter. So you get all that and he ends up falling out of the helicopter eventually into like a pond. So, yeah. so that was a really <laughs> good stunt. Uh, there's some explosions in this, which I was Definitely. surprised. They throw that yep. in there, and then, like Hayed said, some some highlights of uh, you know the, the one main goon, uh, one of Drago's goons, who uh, actually has some lines. So he was like the, one of the highlighted goons. So of course he's gonna have a great death where he's he goes flying out of the glass of a skyscraper. That was unbelievable, unbelievable stunt. And, and then there was another one where during one of the car chases, a dude on a motorcycle goes flying off a bridge. That was a standout one because, you know, it's all practical stunts. It's all in slow motion. The one with the motorcycle, I caught the wire on the motorcycle, you know, briefly, but you're going to have that in 89. But uh, again, with the tribute to Gary uh, Kent, you definitely still want to shout out some some solid, solid late 80s, low budget stunt work. that was pretty impressive. And dude, I had to throw this out as I do occasionally here on the show. This is from Cormac on Letterboxd. Script, 200K. Equipment, 150K. Visual effects, 800K. Cast and crew salaries, 150K. Life insurance for cameraman with an ardent death wish, $3.6 million. Someone who is good at the economy, please help me budget this. My action movie is dying. <laughs> That's pretty good. Yeah, it's, you know, it, it definitely, you know, it's, it's an action year. That's 100% the type of movie it is. It's just basically to have a bunch of stunts and shit blowing up throughout then they even throw in the cameron mitchell and william smith cameos um which i don't know if you caught it at the very end of the movie before the credits roll they actually show like a, a blooper reel with william smith no i missed that i'll have to go back to it yeah it's kind of funny like it's nothing major but it's just like something funny that they threw in there so like the movie was pretty tongue-in-cheek for the most part they knew exactly what they were trying to make and, uh, you know, for, for the most part, it's it. this is one of those movies, too, that, like, I'd never seen it before, so I'm glad that I saw it. I wasn't thrilled with it, but it's another one to knock off the list for sure. And I would definitely recommend the same thing to others out there. Like, if you like, you know, bang-up shoot-em-ups and shit like that, like, you might actually really like this one. Yeah, it's prime definition of TNP, Thursday Night Prime. Uh, one, of the, one of the things that had me die in, as you mentioned, the show stealer Drago, he says to Osborne, Hey, hey, J. Edgar Hoover, how do you want to be buried? Ass up or head down? <laughs> and, then, and then there was the one with the redneck, and, and it's where the station wagon like plows through his suburban house. And he's like, God damn it, you drove right through the bedroom. And there's like a dude from Boston. He's like, I'm sorry about your house, buddy. And then it blows up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah that was hilarious. Dude, there's the fucking uh, the scene with the bus. This is actual dialogue. Oh, my God. Turn. There's a bus. Hang on, baby. We're going airborne. Yeah. No. Look out for the motorhome. Hang on to your ass. We're going through. Oh, shit. Like, that's an act. That's actual dialogue that somebody wrote. So it's it's a completely brainless action movie. So, like, there is funny shit in it for sure. So it's not completely a waste of time. But it's definitely something that's it's fully suited for what we do here on Thursday Night Prime. Here, here is a great trivia sponsored by IMDb. Despite protestations from the director's wife, 
Barry Murphy, who of course is the lead woman, Carmen refused to wear a bra throughout the entire production, which we Thank can goodness. attest to that. Yes. Yes. That is absolutely true. We can, and, it's and ver know, verified. I was going to ask you, did you ever see the documentary uh, fall guy or no, it's not the documentary. I guess it's a fictional film, but it's called fall guy, the John Stewart story. I don't think so. And it's J uh, Jason David Frank, who was the uh, power ranger that passed away recently. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's the star of it. And get this, because this is uh, the usual wrestling tie-ins. His co-star is Paul Logan. Of course, as opposed to Logan Paul. <laughs> Paul Logan. Paul Logan, yeah. Of course. And the, and and the third lead in that is Damien. Dude, like Madonna, it's the, he has no last name. It's just Jason David Frank, Paul Logan, and Damien. Dude, this is amazing. So it's called Fall Guy, the John Stewart story, the true life story of one of Hollywood's top stuntmen, as well as some of the most spectacular stunts ever filmed. Fall Guy follows the life and times of legendary stuntman and director John Stewart. <laughs> and everybody thinks, Jesus. like you said, that it's the John Stewart from daily show fame but they spell it john stewart from the daily shows j-o-n and stuntman Jeez. director is j-o-h-n so that's Jesus that's the difference Christ. make sure you catch that folks if you're trying to differentiate the two yeah because god knows you probably that's not the one you're gonna want to see let's just be honest there so. yeah but like you said it was entertaining enough i i, I laughed a bit it was it, there was some funny stuff and the jazz we do here on the show uh hit us with a tagline for action usa yeah, I got the poster pulled up, and, and we talk about it from week to week. Uh, every once in a while, IMDb will have a random one that I think somebody just inputs. There is nothing for Action USA. It was it was too action-packed. You know, it's just Action USA. All right, well, I did find one. Okay, uh, there we go. Throw it at us. An action explosion in the USA. <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> wow. They're like, what good job, Rob. We're putting it on the poster, and it's not on the poster, so that just tells you. Yeah, they're like, I'm not putting that on the fucking poster. That's shit. So it went on. <laughs> it went on the ones that went to Thailand. I'm sure. Uh, but as we do it on the show with a five star rating scale, the J, what do you give Action USA? Solid two and a half. Hey, yeah, for Action USA. Great mind. Same thing here. Two and a half for this one. Uh, not a bad way to return uh, here for Thursday Night Prime. Uh, we just got to be more prepared next week. I, I'm going to talk. And we to will. Max. Yeah, because I, yeah, I think we, I got fucking bruised be. ribs again, which is the worst. Yeah, now you're gonna have to deal with that shit in the week leading up to the yeah. next show. It's oh, it's, yeah, I love doing this segment, but it really is a pain in the ass, guys. I don't yeah, think you lot. realize how it's taken years off our lives, frankly, and that's a lot to ask, but it's worth it nonetheless. So we are up against our very last commercial break, and whenever we come back, we're gonna wrap up the show and we're gonna talk some goofs. So stay tuned, guys. We'll be back right here, right after this, on the What's Real Podcast. What's the most action-packed segment weekly podcasting? Thursday Night Prime. What segment weekly podcasting do the hosts literally put their lives on the line? Thursday Night Prime. Join us each week in the month of March for the most action-packed weekly segment in podcasting where Hey Evan the J look back at all kinds of weirdo B-action movies. It is Thursday Night Prime. Hey everybody, this is Herman James for the What's Real Podcast, and I'm here to just let you know to welcome you to Goofs Are Goofs. And we're back, and it's that time once again. So the J, what do we got this week on the goof front? 
Oh, hey, Ed, what a beautiful day here at the lagoon and the waterfall. All these frolicking animals. The flamingos are back. Hey, Ed, it's full-blown summer. Man, the pussy willows are in the breeze. The dolphins are frolicking. The beluga whales there. And as promised, hey, Ed, like we said last week, based on the, the Gooster Goose segment, specifically the, the portion with artist Salvador Dali, I did get the anteater delivered. I, I named it Ripley after the oh. Aliens franchise. So we have an anteater named Ripley. It's ridiculous. Cute as hell. But it's ridiculous. Nux is already bitching because the budget's ballooning because the, the anteater food is an arm and a leg. And dude, and he shits everywhere. everywhere. It's ballooning. Oh, man. It's, it smells like a, a turd took a shit, but it is what it is. We're getting used to it. It kind of throws off the beautiful setting, but we love our animals here. We're like Noah from Noah's Arcade. Yeah, pretty much. I'd agree with that. One of our favorite mascots. Mascards. Mascards. Here we go. This this is going to be a disaster already. Disaster. Jay. Disaster piece. Episode 165, Goofs or Goose. We're going to one of our mascots, the Florida Man. Uh, recently, a Florida Man had his arm ripped off by a 10-foot alligator. Hey, you know. <laughs> You, of course, like the first picture is uh, Stubbs from Happy Gilmore. Another Carl Weathers reference. I opened up with Action Jackson. Flow of the show. Hey, Ed, good job. Yeah. But uh, the reason, like how could you, you know, there might be different reasons why you might get your arm ripped off, but this guy's is really bad. <laughs> I thought there was only two ways you could get your arm <laughs> yeah. ripped off. He was. There uh, was a plethora of ways <laughs> plethora. where you could get your arm ripped off. <laughs> what is a plethora? <laughs> um, but this man was peeing in a pond because the, the, uh, line at the bar he was at was too long. Well, that's, you know, in Florida, there's gators everywhere. So good luck to you. Yeah. If can you believe like, that though? Like, man, this bathroom line's too long. I'm gonna go take a piss in the swamp. Like, <laughs> yeah. man, that's a bad idea there. Fucking Cletus. Like, no, it isn't. Like, it's you dickless fucking redneck. Well, he's armless head. He still oh. has his penis. Mm, it's debatable. This one I just showed you. The title is um, it's everyday school fights at daily fights for you. Uh, this went as well as you'd expect. It's a, a really small kid going up against a much bigger kid. As the slogan here states, bra went for a Batista bomb and then body slammed him. I'd never go out in broad daylight again. And this viral video of the week contains this dude just slamming this kid Goes for the Batista bomb. The kid gets out of it, but then he just gets traditionally body slammed. And yes, folks, this is all in a parking lot. Do you see that? Yeah. The dude's body slam has very good form, but it's also like, why are you fighting a kid that like, and I'm sure these motherfuckers are the same age, but it sure don't look like it. Like, what, what is going on here? All right. Hey, Ed, we need your thoughts on this uh, because okay. this was a whole thing and they, they actually did polls and everything. So a pair of Texas teens have been charged with felonies for allegedly unleashing a noxious fart spray inside their high school as a prank. However, it was sickening to multiple students and triggering multiple evacuations. So the foul incident took place at Caney Creek High School. This is near Houston. So following an investigation, the police arrested David 19 or no, he's 17 and Diego 18. But here's the thing. This is the controversy. Old they, David 19 is <laughs> out here to get you, man. <laughs> they they were charged with possession of a prohibited weapon, a third-degree felony punishable 
by up to 10 years in prison, according to reporting by the Courier of Montgomery County. Both youngsters have since been released on 3,000 bond. Do you think the time reflects the crime is the question. Hey, yeah. And that's what the poll was on. Well, first and foremost, there were no polls. There, these, there was one poll. That's it. There's not 94 polls going on about this particular case. Uh, second off, no. This is this stinks, as I say every time they come up with a fart-related story, because that joke never gets old to me. No. Uh, I don't. Who cares? Just, you know. I was, I was teeing up the next one. And then I hear Pop Goes the Weasel. <laughs> oh, Pop Goes the Weasel with this TikTok video. I sent it to you. It's titled, the, A Beard Transplant is Insane. Uh, this young kid, Miguel Pascarero, uh, can't grow a beard. So he had a beard transplant done. <laughs> he looks horrendous. Yeah, dude, it, this is like some Hulk Hogan 95 shit. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. He looks like fucking, would they call him Dirty Hogs? <laughs> I, I don't know the Jay. Is that what they called him? Because he had the uh, the stinky leg drop. That's what I thought it was. <laughs> Dirty Hogs. <laughs> <laughs> this this was a classic. This was from a while ago, but we never covered it on uh, the GRG. Leg drop. I'm dying. I can't. I'm done. I gotta, we got to go. I'm, so, I'm gonna die. I'm literally going to die. This is funny because um, <laughs> this young kid is getting his hair cut and the barber just takes a break and smokes meth. Or no, I'm sorry. It's crack. <laughs> oh, much better. Yeah. That's then, much more normal. And if you see the kid, um, what do they call it? Just the cover at the barber? Like, is just, there a name yeah. for that? I don't know. But it's a, it's, a no. it's a supreme one. Yeah, sure it is. So it's retailing at uh, 1100 bucks for the bar barber's cover here. But yeah, he just casually takes a hit of crack and goes back to cutting his uh, kid's hair, but he kills it. So maybe the crack uh, makes him better. Hey, Eddie's concentrate. Yeah, I'd, I'd be like, bro, I'm out. Like, we're well, he, good looks here. he looks creepy as hell. You see him cutting it. Yeah, as soon as he's done cutting this kid's hair, he stabs him to death for a dollar. Yeah, for those that, that want the visual at Clown World is, is that one. Um, kid getting haircut by dude smoking crack. This, yeah, this, don't. No, I don't know. Actually, I'm not. I have no. I have no explanation for any of this, and I'm fine with it. Actually, so this I'm is doing this all right. is the uh, the viral video of the week from at Borna Kang. Um, the title is the fact he just kept going. So it's a at a Mexican what they call football. Uh, football Americano is what they call. It's it. what they call football. <laughs> Uh, this dude is doing a halftime show. Dude, the obstacle course on the roller thing. The dude just sells it. Yeah, he he, he does like, a pro yeah. wrestling move halfway through. He looks like El Dandy, like modern day. And you he, know what they say, man? Who are you or anyone else to doubt El Dandy? But but uh, fast forward if you can to when they're doing the American Gladiators um, pugil sticks, and he knocks the the luchador off and does a splash. Off the like the ramp. Do you see this? Okay, I'm I'm getting there. It's taking a while. Okay, go to where he knocks him off. But for those listening, this obstacle course has this probably five eight, three hundred and seventy five pound goof. We'll call him Miguel, going through all these weird obstacles, and he's blown up, meaning he barely run, 
and he's not able to do any of them, but he just keeps going. And it takes two and a half minutes and it it all culminates with him having to kick a a goal kick and he misses horribly. And the mascots all pissed. This is the most, this is the longest thing I've ever watched. It's long as shit. That's why it was a bad choice for GRG. We probably lost all three of our listeners, but nonetheless, fuck with a J was, I was crying. That's hilarious. He's the slowest person I've ever seen. Yeah, th- this one was was a horrible, tragic story uh, that we had to tell here on the show. Uh, this dates back to the 1700s, hey, Ed? Okay, rest in peace. There was a child born in Madel Guat, Bangal, India, with two fully functional heads. Wait, where was the kid born at? Mundal Guat, Bangal, India. <laughs> okay. The midwife attending the birth was so horrified by this unusual sight that she impossible, impulsively threw him into a nearby fire. But he survived the incident with just minor burns. So that's the, that's the most 1700 shit I've ever heard in my life. Yeah, like goddamn midwife is a terrible person. But realizing the potential to earn money, the child's parents decided to take him to Calcutta, where people paid to see him due, uh, due to his extraordinary condition. So the two heads of the child exhibited independent actions and reactions. So one head would sleep and the other could be awake. So this also implies to one head could cry while the other would display happiness. So the two headed uh, Indian man (laughs) fucked with people. Yeah, dude, this sound. Why does this sound like a fucking boss character on a Nintendo game? Yeah, seriously. Like it's like you got to no, like no, dude, you got to move in and hit it when the one head's asleep. Yeah, but like when the, the other head's of mana. angry, you got to block everything. Yeah. <laughs> but it's funny too because both heads responded different differently to certain stimuli. So, for instance, one head was highly sensitive to light and had poor vision. Nevertheless, they both experienced pain in the same way. So yeah, but you know, you know what my question is though. What's that? Which, which head responds to getting head? Well, unfortunately, the answer is when the child was only four years old, his mother left to fetch water from a well, and she came back and he was dead. He had succumbed to a cobra bite. Yeah, so gotta watch out. we gotta watch out for them cobras. So this poor kid. He grew, he grew up in Mandal, Guat, Bangal, India in 1700s, born with two well, where, heads. Was where thrown did he grow up again? Mundot, Guat, Bangal, India. Okay. He, he got instantly thrown into a fire by the midwife, survived that, and ends up dying at four by a cobra. Like, yeah, so, ah, Jesus. That's, <laughs> and, and here comes his legendary legacy, the four-year-old kid that got thrown in a fire and got killed by a cobra. The child's skull can now be observed at the Hunterian <laughs> Museum of the Royal College in London. Jesus and I, I just sent you the picture. You should see the skull. It's, dude, it's how fucked up of a planet it's like, hey, remember that fucking kid, dude, that uh, they threw into a fire and he survived and he got died. He died when he got bit by a cobra. Like, yeah, like, here's his fucking skull. <laughs> yeah. Like, Jesus Christ. Uh, this next oh, one. That's, that's horrifying, by the way. <laughs> yeah. Horror movie Blumhouse has the rights to that, so we can't take the copyright of doing a biopic of the two-headed youngster on the, the pod. Hey, you. It's called that's what it's gonna be called, the two-headed youngster. <laughs> yeah, I just sent you this. This was killing me. It's viral as shit. It's Sweden's answer to dancing with the stars. <laughs> and it was the finale. 
these protesters jump on stage and the cameraman takes the dude out with the crane. The camera dude, crane. Why, why has nobody done this in wrestling yet? Yes. It's like Roman Reigns is going for the... Oh, he got knocked out by the camera. <laughs> <laughs> like the, And then you see like fucking... You know, like uh, like Cody's, like the cameraman, like <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it starts a feud, build up to SummerSlam. Jesus Christ! Yeah, and this this next one in 2014, a 14 year old injected himself with mercury at least three times, all in an attempt to convert his bones into metal after seeing Wolverine. And somehow the idiot survives that. So this is like the opposite story of the the doomed two headed kid. He also intentionally got bitten by spiders on multiple occasions because he wanted to be Spider-Man. So he's an idiot. <laughs> yeah, well, remember growing up, people would be like, you know, be careful with what you watch because there's idiots that watch Superman and jumped off the roof with a cape because they, they were, were trying to something. fly. Yeah. So, but somehow this kid Pepe is still alive. Pepe. Which, I mean, can you believe it? No, I can't believe his name is Pepe. Last but not least, hey, yo, I hope you're hungry. We're typically typically hungry at this time of the show. Yeah, I'm starving. A 14-legged giant isopod is the brand new highlight of a new dish at a ramen restaurant in Taipei. Would you eat this fuck? I just sent it to you. Definitely not. No? No, I would not eat this. Yeah, they said nope. it has a lot of iron, tons of protein. Um, It's called the the ramen boy. Limited edition noodle soup, and it's served in a bowl. Yeah, I'm going to go with no. Yeah, 14-legged hypopod. And uh, the owner of the restaurant would go on to say about the isopod, it's so attractive because of its appearance. It looks very cute. He wanted to only be identified as Mr. Who. As he held up a giant isopod, customers took pictures. As for the cooking method, we use the simplest way. We steam it, then we eat it. So, yeah, they only steam the isopod for 10 minutes and you eat all uh, all 14 of its eggs uh, with a thick chicken and fish broth. So who was it? Well, here's the thing. It costs fourteen hundred and eighty Taiwan dollars. That goes to forty eight dollars. But uh, who's the owner? Mr. Who? Yeah. Who's the owner? Who? Yes. What? No. Who? And as I say. To my Mr. Hoonis from another Moonis, goofs are goofs. So if you guys are listening on iTunes, feel free to give us a five-star review. Helps out the algorithm, gets more eyes and ears on the program. And of course, you can listen to us each and every week on all of your favorite podcasting platforms, such as Apple, iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, Google Podcasts, and each and every week on Churchill Pictures. Com. If you have something you'd like to add to the show, you can do so through email at whatsrealpod at gmail.com. Once again, that is whatsrealpod at gmail.com. Uh, shout out to our producer, Cam, for all the hard work he puts in the show, because as we know here on the program, nobody beats the whiz. The J, clang, clang. Clang, clang. Still the podcasting champions of the universe, and uh, we're still undefeated, and that's going to continue on. But before we get out of here, hear the J revving it up. So the J, take it fucking away. Revving it up like a steam giant isopod with 14 penises. Hey, y'all. 
doing our thing. Uh, in all seriousness, I do want to shout out uh, to everybody that supported us. Uh, like Hey Elt said, we're uh, sponsored through Churchill Pictures and our latest film project. It's a, a short film project called NWL, the National Wrestling League, and it is up for Best Picture at the Los Angeles Film Awards. Uh, we'll find out next month. So, yeah, we appreciate it. Hey, Ed, thanks for always giving me the platform when it's necessary here on the show and always supporting. Appreciate you, brother. Appreciate everybody. But wanted to shout that out here on the What's Real podcast through our sponsor, Churchill Pictures. But as I go through my rundowns, love the show to our producer, the wizard behind the boards himself, Cam, the wizard behind the boards for a reason. Thanks for what you do. We appreciate you. But to those listening, much love to you. Welcome to the summer of the dub as we're calling it here at the What's Real podcast. Thanks for listening. Stay safe. Stay healthy. You'll hear the J next week. So that is it for us this week here on episode 165. Don't forget to join us next week for episode 166 and beyond. So stay safe, stay healthy, and we will see you here next week on the What's Real Podcast. What's real? What's real?